You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information on any of the topics you hear today, or to learn more about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, everyone. One of the benefits of having a Zoom function and a Zoom audience is that we can address everybody around the world at different times. I hope that you all are staying healthy during these difficult coronavirus situation that we find ourselves in. My name is Scott Worden, and I'm the director of the Afghanistan and Central Asia programs for the U.S. Institute of Peace. We are thrilled today to be partnering with our colleagues at the World Justice Project to launch their latest report, The Rule of Law in Afghanistan, Key Findings from 2019. This is officially launching today. We have a distinguished panel of discussants as well as a distinguished audience. I'd like to welcome Ambassador Roya Rahmani, the Afghan ambassador to Washington, who I know is watching, but also other Afghan officials and citizens who are dealing with twin challenges of an ongoing conflict and COVID. So this is a difficult time for Afghanistan and we appreciate the difficulty of the situation. For everybody watching on different platforms, we invite you to take part in the discussion today. We will be uh, checking the comment feed on the YouTube channel as well as on Twitter. And today's hashtag is hashtag R-O-L-A Afghanistan. So R-O-L Afghanistan, all one word. After my introductions, the World Justice Project team will present their report. And then we have two panelists to issue commentary from an Afghan perspective. And then I will lead a discussion which will include taking questions from the audience. And so if you can identify your name and where you're uh, asking your question from, then we can have this be a, a more intimate and inclusive conversation. Let me first say that the US Institute of Peace has long been a proponent of the importance that rule of law plays in conflict prevention and conflict resolution. And it's a fundamental building block of peace and stability. USIP has had an office in Afghanistan since 2008. And one of our key programmatic areas is promoting the rule of law, working with Afghan civil society organizations, as well as Afghan judicial institutions to try to increase access to justice and legal understanding. I want to first introduce Dr. Alejandro Ponce, who will be providing introductory remarks. He is the Chief Research Officer of the World Justice Project. He joined as a senior economist and is one of the original designers and lead author of the World Justice Project Rule of Law Index. After Dr. Ponce, Amy Griskovich will present the report's key findings and recommendations. She is the Director of Criminal Justice Research at WJP and she leads their thematic research on global criminal justice indicators and country-specific research on Afghanistan. Our first commentator will then be Ghazal Harris. She is currently serving as the Ombudsperson for the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan, a new and vital role. Since 2012, she has been Assistant Professor of Law at the American University of Afghanistan. And from 2016 to 2019, she served as, the, as a commissioner for the Independent Commission on the oversight and implementation of the Constitution, as well as being a civil society leader in past roles. 
Finally, we will be hearing from Abdullah Ahmadzai. He is the Asia Foundation's country representative, and he has overseen the Asia Foundation's longstanding survey, which includes rule of law issues. USIP has been proud to partner with the Asia Foundation on launching that report, and so the comparison should be quite interesting. Uh, he has also been a senior election official, having served as the chief election uh, officer for the 2010 Afghan elections. So without further ado, thanks for joining for this conversation, and let me turn it over to Dr. Hansley. Thank you, Scott. Um, good morning to everyone in the U.S. and good evening to everyone joining in Afghanistan. On behalf of our board, our officers, our staff, I would like to thank you for turning today uh, to learn about the latest findings of the rule of law in Afghanistan report, our latest effort to measure the rule of law in Afghanistan. Um, we owe a special thanks to the United States Institute for Peace uh, for virtually hosting this event. We are great admirers of their work to promote peace around the world, and it's a pleasure to be working with you to disseminate the most recent findings of the rule of law in Afghanistan. Uh, for those of you who are new to the World Justice Project, we are an independent, multidisciplinary organization working to advance the rule of law around the world. We do this in several ways. First, by collecting and analyzing original, independent rule of law data that we present in a series of, report, of reports, including the rule of law index. We also support research, scholarship, and teaching about the importance of the rule of law. Um, its relationship with economic development, as well as effective strategies to strengthen it. And third, by building a multidisciplinary global network of policymakers, experts, advocates through strategic convenings and locally led initiatives. As part of our commitment to advance the rule of law around the world, the WJP has collected data on rule of law topics in Afghanistan since 2013. Today, we're releasing our latest report, The Rule of Law in Afghanistan, Key Findings 2019, which examines the rule of law situation in the country from the perspectives and experiences of Afghans. The latest edition of this report also features new data collected from inmates in Afghanistan, which provide an unprecedented glimpse into the real experience of people and users that have gone through the criminal justice system. Combined, the information that is presented in this report represents the voices of more than 17,000 Afghans that have shared their experiences and perceptions with us over the last five years to provide a snapshot of the current situation in Afghanistan and over time. We know that Afghanistan faces many rule of law challenges. We have seen recently attacks that have targeted human rights and healthcare workers and the country is preparing right now to begin formal peace talks while simultaneously navigating the economic devastating effects and social effects of the pandemic. Identifying and addressing rule of law issues related to corruption, human rights, security, the delivery of justice, the performance of the criminal justice system will be very important to successfully reform and recovery efforts in the future. So it is our hope that the data that we are presenting today serves as a tool to encourage data-driven policy choices and guide program development to strengthen the rule of law in Afghanistan in the years to come. With this, I'm going to introduce my colleague, Amy Gritzkevitz, 
the World Justice Project Director of Criminal Justice Research, who is going to present the latest findings from the Rule of Law Index in Afghanistan report, Key Findings 2019. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alejandro and Scott, for your introductions and to USIP for hosting this event virtually since circumstances do not permit all of us to gather together in person. Thank you also to our esteemed panelists who are both joining us from Kabul to share their insights and experiences relating to the rule of law in Afghanistan today. I'm very excited to speak about some of the findings from our latest report, which we published online uh, just this morning, and would also like to congratulate the WJP's research team for the, uh, the final report. I've prepared a few slides to walk through some of the high-level findings, and I will share my screen now. To provide some background context to the conversation we're going to have today about the current rule of law situation in Afghanistan, I want to first begin by providing a very high level snapshot of rule of law performance in Afghanistan and other countries in the South Asia region. The slide here features summary information from the countries in South Asia that were featured in the WJP rule of law index report released in March of this year. The index measures countries' adherence to the rule of law in practice and compares scores and rankings for 128 countries around the world. Each country's overall rule of law score is shown here on a scale of zero to one, with one signifying the highest possible score or strong adherence to rule of law. The table presented also highlights the percentage that this overall score has changed over the last year, as well as the average annual score change since 2015. With a score of 0.36, Afghanistan's overall rule of law performance is lower um, than what we see in other countries in South Asia. However, Afghanistan was the only country in this regional grouping that experienced an improvement in overall score over the last year, in this case with an improvement of 4.3%, which is also what's showcased on the map of the slide. Looking at how overall country scores have changed um, across a larger period of time, so going back five years, we also find that the average annual score change in Afghanistan was positive at 0.7% since 2015. This means that although rule of law remains weak in Afghanistan, some improvements have occurred over time. With this information as backdrop, I'll now turn to the WJP's latest efforts to measure rule of law performance in Afghanistan specifically. The Rule of Law in Afghanistan Key Findings 2019 report is part of a series that the WJP produces annually. The latest iteration released this morning is the fourth edition of the report that we've released to the public. This graphical report explores different facets of the rule of law in Afghanistan as they are experienced by Afghans actually living in the country. Each page of the report is designed to be sort of a takeaway brief um, and cover different themes or topics of interest. These pages showcase responses to individual questions from various WJP surveys. The WJP collects survey data in Afghanistan each year, and the latest edition of this report features new data, as well as data from previous years to highlight how certain experiences and perceptions may have changed in the country over time. And because this report focuses exclusively on Afghanistan, the WJP has been able to develop new and really innovative survey instruments and methodologies to explore different rule of law topics at a granular level. As an example of this, the latest edition of the report features uh, a new and in-depth look at the performance of Afghanistan's criminal justice system, as Alejandro noted. 
Findings in the latest report are drawn from three data sources that the WJP collected in 2019. First, we interviewed 3,019 households in a nationally representative survey. This survey provides firsthand information on experiences and perceptions of ordinary people um, across a variety of rule of law issues in the country, including their dealings with the government, the ease of interacting with state bureaucracy, and also their experiences with bribery. Second, we interviewed 24 in-country legal practitioners and academics with expertise in civil law, criminal and constitutional law, labor law, and public health. We know that some questions are difficult for the general public to answer, such as questions related to the efficacy of courts. So these surveys collect information on rule of law issues from practitioners who are frequently interacting with these state institutions. And third, we interviewed 557 inmates in Afghanistan. The WJP was interested in collecting data that explored people's experiences throughout the criminal justice process, in part because of the prominent role that the formal justice sector plays in ensuring that laws are both enforced and that the rule of law is implemented. Capturing experiences of people that interact with the criminal justice system is particularly challenging because it's difficult to identify a sufficient number of these individuals via a survey to the general public. And in many cases, people that have gone through the system are actually incarcerated. The WJP therefore spent a year developing a pilot survey instrument and methodology to capture inmate experiences from the moment of arrest through the completion of a criminal trial. Inmate populations are extremely difficult to reach and publicly available data on inmates in Afghanistan are um, probably to no surprise of any of us, extremely limited or non-existent. We were able to collect data from inmates because of the willingness of the Afghan Ministry of Interior Affairs to permit this study and also of the General Directorate of Prisons and Detention Centers to facilitate access to individual prisons. We are extremely grateful for that collaboration and would not have been able to conduct the inmate study or show any of these data anchored in real experiences without that support. In total, five prison facilities were included in the pilot study and were selected according to the size of the inmate populations. Interviews were then distributed proportionally across the selected prisons and the individual inmates were selected using a simple random sample method. We were not able to enter facilities for women in this pilot, um, so I do want to note that all of the interviews that were conducted and the findings that we'll be speaking about today relate only to those experiences of male inmates. And now, turning to insights from the latest Rule of Law in Afghanistan report, I'll begin by highlighting some of the findings from data we've collected from the general public. Uh, we see that Afghans perceive widespread corruption among authorities in Afghanistan. Each year, we ask the general public a series of questions about how many authorities they believe to be involved in corrupt practices in various uh, government institutions. This slide presents responses to those questions since 2014. Here, the purple bars represent the percentage of Afghans who responded they believed all or most of a particular authority were involved in corrupt practices. Despite a small improvement over the last year, judges, which is the category displayed on the far left, continue to be viewed as the most corrupt authority. I'm looking at responses over a, lo a longer period, perceptions of national government officers have declined the most since 2014, 
with 48% of Afghans reporting that they believed all or most were involved in corrupt practices in 2019, compared to only 33% in 2014. Bribery victimization also remains common in Afghanistan. In the survey to the general public, we ask Afghans whether they've had to pay a bribe to access various public services. This chart showcases the percentage of Afghans interviewed in 2019 that reported they had to pay a bribe in the last three years to access different services. Responses to these questions are broken down by region of the country to show how bribery victimization varied and the national average for each category is denoted by the orange dotted line on the chart. Overall, Afghans reported that they paid a bribe to obtain a government permit more than any other service. You can see that this varied by region of the country with the largest percentages in the West and Southwest reporting that they paid a bribe for this purpose and the smallest percentage in the capital. And on average, more respondents in the Southwest reported paying a bribe to access public services than in any other region. We also found that Afghans have mixed views on their fundamental freedoms. This chart highlights the percentage of Afghans in 2019 who reported they either strongly agreed or agreed that certain political, media, and religious freedoms are guaranteed in the country. Although a majority of the respondents, as you see here, believed that their political, media, and religious freedoms are guaranteed, perceptions varied within the categories. For example, uh, within the category of political freedoms, you see that the largest percentage of Afghans agreed that they could organize around uh, an issue or sign a petition, which was 75%, but the smallest percentage agreed that they could join any political organization that they wished, which was only 50%. Afghans also reported fairly low levels of confidence in the justice system in 2019. We asked the general public about how confident they are in the criminal justice system's ability to perform various services. Afghans were the most confident that the system is effective in bringing people who commit crimes to justice, which is the 70% question featured at the top, but were far less confident in all other aspects of the justice system's performance shown here. Afghans were less confident that the system deals with, uh, or were the least confident rather, that the system deals with cases promptly and efficiently, which was only 45%. And now for a more in-depth picture of the performance of the criminal justice system, I'm going to turn to some of the findings from inmates that we featured in our latest report. When we interviewed inmates, we asked them a series of questions in various modules to explore their experiences at different stages of the criminal justice process. For this presentation, I've pulled a handful of the higher level findings related to due process during different stages, but additional insights can be found um, in our report if you go to our website um, and download that. For the inmate data, we split data uh, collected into two different groups to allow comparisons over time. The first group that you'll see featured on these infographics includes inmates that were arrested between 2017 and 2019, and the second group includes inmates arrested prior to 2017. This chart highlights average responses to a group of questions we asked about the arrest process and whether various procedures occurred. Comparing responses to these questions over time, we see that although due process during arrest is weak in Afghanistan, it has improved. On average, inmates arrested between 2017 and 2019 were more likely to report that they were informed of the reason for their arrest. 
uh, that they were not verbally threatened, that they were not asked for a bribe, and that they were explicitly told that they were under arrest. And one other finding of note here is that although the suspects, um, inmates arrested between 2017 and 2019, were more likely to report they were arrested without violence, which is the final arrow that you see presented here, uh, the percentage remained quite low. Only 34%, or roughly one in three, responded that their arrest occurred without any sort of physical violence. The inmate data show that it is common that suspects in Afghanistan are also not taken directly to law enforcement uh, facilities immediately after uh, being arrested. The left slide of this chart highlights the percentage of inmates that said they were not taken directly to a law enforcement office over time. We've shown these responses uh, for three different law enforcement authorities uh, so you can compare those experiences. Despite an improvement over time, Roughly one-third of inmates arrested between 2017 and 2019 still reported they were not taken directly to a law enforcement office. This rate was similar across each of the authorities that we've uh, presented here. And this is an important finding. The WJP has done extensive research to evaluate Mexico's criminal justice system and one thing we found in that work that is true in other countries as well is that it becomes much more likely that a suspect will be mistreated in some way if they're not transported directly to a police station or similar facility. And this is certainly something that we captured in the data we collected from inmates in Afghanistan. Um, if we look to the data presented on the right for inmates that were not taken directly to a police station, um, these percentages show um, those inmates that then stated that they experienced some form of mistreatment um, before eventually arriving at an official location. Although we, see, we see a decline in inmates that were not taken directly to an official location over time, we don't see much change in the percentages that are then mistreated. The types of mistreatment reported by inmates that were not taken directly to an official location varied by resting authority. This chart highlights the five most commonly reported types of mistreatment on average. And for each of the law enforcement authorities shown here, the largest percentage of inmates reported being kicked, punched, or beaten. And that was the same for all three of these. And next, we asked inmates about their experiences once they arrived at an official law enforcement facility, covering topics including whether their arrest was documented and whether they were informed of their right to have an attorney. Although ad overall adherence to due process after arrest um, is weak in Afghanistan, we again see that there have been some improvements over time here. The largest improvement over time was seen in the percentage of inmates uh, that said they were not asked for a bribe. Uh, but despite the improvements noted, less than 50% of inmates arrested between 2017 and 2019 reported that they were informed that they had the right to an attorney, that they were informed they could remain silent and not answer a question, and that they were allowed to contact a family member or friend to let them know where they were. So there's still um, a large opportunity for improvement uh, based on these findings. And the final highlight that I'll show today relates to due process during the primary and appellate trials. We asked inmates who completed their primary trial a series of questions to explore how these experiences have changed over time. The top of this chart highlights changes we've seen for the primary trial, and the bottom of the chart features changes over time for the same questions, but at the appellate trial process. 
One notable finding here is that we see a large improvement in the percentage of inmates that reported they were given the opportunity to speak over time at both the primary and appellate levels. Although the World Justice Projects report features many, many other highlights, I'm going to end my pres presentation here so we can discuss some of these findings and trends with our panel a bit more in depth. I encourage viewers to download our latest report, which is available on our website, worldjusticeproject.com. Thank you very much, Amy. That was a great presentation. Lots of us for us to discuss. Before I turn over to Gizal for some initial comments and reactions, let me again remind the audience that uh, you can ask questions either via Twitter at ROL Afghanistan, hashtag ROL Afghanistan, or on the comment feature on the YouTube feed. Gizal, over to you. Thank you, Scott. Um, hello, everyone. Um, I'm very pleased to be part of this uh, panel, uh, although only virtually, and to speak uh, about the uh, rule of law in Afghanistan. Uh, first of all, I would like to congratulate World Justice Project for completing another report on the state of rule of law uh, globally and one particularly on Afghanistan. I would also like to thank our colleagues at USAIP, the United States Institute for Peace, for organizing um, this panel uh, discussion um, today or tonight, depending on where we are. <laughs> Um, well, for many years, um, the rule of law index by WJP um, has measured how countries adhere uh, to the rule of law and how their um, citizens uh, perceive rule of law. Um, and this um, work uh, has been done to advance rule of law around the world, um, has very positively affected countries and their people. Um, and I hope that this will continue to be the case um, in the years um, to come. Um, as the Ombudsperson of Islamic Republic of Afghanistan, I would like to welcome um, WJP's report. Um, uh, the report presents progresses and challenges with regards to the rule of law um, in Afghanistan. And I, I believe reports like this um, help the government of Afghanistan consider the findings uh, when we develop uh, and implement uh, reform strategies and uh, policies. Um, today I'll be speaking uh, on three um, issues, um, speaking of general uh, state of human right, uh, of rule of law, um, and speaking about corruption because that's what um, I do, that's, my, uh, that's what my job is, um, and basically talking about the recent uh, measures taken by the government of Afghanistan on anti-corruption. Um, and also, I would like to touch upon the rule of law in view of the current uh, peace process and peace negotiations. Um, the rule of law index provided both um, positive aspects and um, challenges with regards to rule of law um, in Afghanistan. And it indicated, as um, our colleague uh, Amy said, it indicated 4.3% uh, of the positive changes um, overall um, in Afghanistan. Uh, this is not very significant, but when you look at it, especially in the regional context, you see that uh, while other um, countries in the region 
region have not had much progress. Afghanistan, despite um, the insecurity, the lack of stability, and the ongoing violence, has had this progress. So, um, to us, uh, this is uh, this is really um, uh, positive. Um, there have been other areas, uh, specifically the areas that have been positive, and and those included open government, people people's confidence in the national um, institutions, uh, protection of fundamental rights uh, and freedoms, uh, perception of women in the society seem to be quite positive, uh, and improvements in the uh, criminal justice system. Um, these were uh, what I found as very positive, uh, or at least the areas where we had. Uh, um, um, some progress um, in the report. Uh, but of course, there were also tremendous challenges. Uh, there are areas that we still, um, they, uh, that we still um, need to improve and the areas where we still need a lot of progress. Um, and those, many of those, um, um, I mean, particularly were on uh, corruption uh, across different institutions, but also um, security was where Afghanistan had um, the lowest of its uh, ranking and um, of course security um, um, and terrorism have had uh, their impact on rule of law in Afghanistan. Um, I believe that both the positive trends and the challenges are not absolute. In my opinion, the positive trends do not imply that we do not need to take further steps um, um, to, to bring further improvements and more progress. And the negative aspects or the challenges part do not mean that there have not in any positive um, developments um, in those areas. Um, Afghanistan has, um, I mean, we, are, we all understand, we all know that Afghanistan has made huge um, steps forward since it came out of the civil war uh, and the dark era of the Taliban. Uh, however, ongoing conflict and insurgency, as well as the endemic corruption, uh, have been major impediments um, for rule of law in Afghanistan to, uh, to thrive. Um, uh, Afghanistan has suffered and has paid a huge cost to corruption, and we all uh, understand that. And in 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 the government, uh, we are cognizant um, of of this fact. Um, corruption has not just damaged Afghanistan's reputation internationally, but it has also weakened citizens' trust and confidence in the government and in the government um, institutions. Um, the fight against corruption is, of course, an absolute necessity, um, and it remains uh, as it remains a major challenge um, uh, towards meaningful rule of law um, in the country, as it is, a fundament, uh, fund, as it is fundamental for um, lasting peace um, in Afghanistan. Um, in Afghanistan, of course, with the support from our international allies and partners, um, there has been a lot of work done um, to improve um, um, the um, situation and to, um, um, uh, to bring some reforms to improve the lives of the citizens who face the plight of corruption uh, almost every day. And the report showed how many, um, uh, what percentage of citizens in different aspects of their life and different walks of life, including the inmates, um, had experiences of uh, corruption. Uh, but the government is committed to reinforce its um, efforts um, to eradicate corruption uh, 
in, in all different areas of the government, but particularly in the law enforcement institutions, because those are the very, very key institutions um, that have to um, have uh, very specific and fundamental reforms when it comes to um, uh, corruption. Um, and to do this, the government has had um, a number of uh, legislative as well as structural um, initiatives in place. One of those uh, initiatives were um, uh, is the Office of the Ombudsperson, um, where I uh, work and the office of the ombudsperson was exclusively um, established to look into allegations of corruption against high-ranking government um, officials um, and the idea was basically um, not just to increase accountability and transparency but at the same time um, to legally pursue those who boldly commit acts of corruption believing um, that they have impunity or they that they can enjoy uh, impunity because this has been one area where the government of Afghanistan has repeatedly been uh, criticized and this institution is specifically designed um, to look into allegations of corruption of high governmental officials work very closely with the legal and judicial institutions and to ensure that the cases or the allegations of corruption are also pursued not just that the inspection is done and then the um, uh, the prosecutorial and the judicial institutions um, do not take um, um, do not take further um, action. Uh, another um, very important initiative is the creation of the anti-corruption institution, anti-corruption commission. And the idea for that was to bring in um, all the anti-corruption efforts, mainly on administrative corruption under one umbrella. Um, and um, this was also to realize Afghanistan's commitments towards United Nations Convention Against um, Corruption. Uh, the government has also established anti-corruption justice center. Um, this um, institution has specialized police prosecutors and judges. And again, this is one place uh, where they can actually, from the time of um, arrest and inspection uh, to prosecution to uh, conviction, um, uh, all of that happens under uh, one roof. And um, there has been a number of initiatives, mainly on the open um, government um, aspects, and this has been a priority for Afghanistan uh, to ensure that the rule of law is delivered in a transparent uh, manner. There have been a number of um, initiatives taken there um, that include ratifying a law on access to information, uh, creating the commission, uh, access to information commission to um, ensure the transparency of the information being provided uh, to the citizens. Uh, there has been a, um, a, a significant improvement and increase in the role of civil society to um, both oversee government uh, actions and also participate in different processes such as the lawmaking process and also in the um, selection of a number of uh, key institutions. A very good example of that is civil society's participation in the, anti, in the selection of the members of anti-corruption um, commission uh, that is due to be, um, to be um, completed um, in, in the next one to two months. And in this commission, uh, civil society both um, uh, nominated or presented 50% um, uh, of the candidates, but at the same time, um, 
um, they make 50% of the selection committee as well. And this, again, uh, shows Afghanistan's commitment towards um, having an open government and allowing civil society and public to do um, government oversight. Um, and of course, there has been a lot of support from the government and also the space provided for uh, free media and investigative um, journalism. And that is um, uh, what you see from time to time, how um, uh, different reports built on rule of law uh, as well as corruption comes out of the media. And then the government um, uh, feels responsible um, to look at those and to um, do further inspections and investigations. Uh, but are these enough? I mean, one would ask, are these um, enough? Um, certainly not. Um, as the report reflected, as we see the realities in the country, um, there, there's a lot done, but there's definitely a lot uh, more um, that needs to happen if we really want to have a meaningful uh, rule of law in the, in, in the country. And institutions have to be strengthened. Um, there has to be more transparency, more accountability. And I think the, the at different levels, starting from the government officials to people, they all need to... Um, accept um, uh, or, or, or build uh, together this culture of accountability and transparency and to ensure that um, neither um, uh, the officials um, um, are corrupt nor people um, are silent about uh, cases of uh, corruption or when they, are, when they become victims of uh, corruption. Um, but um, that that that's my take on on corruption issues and uh, i wanted to briefly talk about rule of law in view of the peace negotiations uh, and of course at the moment um, it's it's extremely important for us not to just focus on um, issues of rule of law um, in the current state of affairs but also think of the future um, in afghanistan um, i think the very very pressing issue right now um, in afghanistan now that we have passed be behind the um, election and the um, um, uh, in the announcement of the results, uh, I think it's important that um, uh, the peace process and the negotiations right now, which is the pressing is issue, um, focuses on um, the rule of law. And I think it's it's not just the um, the two parties um, to the negotiation, but also international communities' um, uh, responsibility to ensure that the rule of law becomes an important uh, point of the agenda uh, for the uh, peace negotiations. Um, we, we understand, of course, that um, the um, rule of law has been a major challenge for Afghanistan in the past years, but it's important that we especially that we have experienced Taliban in their government, it's important that we have guarantees in place uh, for rule of law um, in a post-peace settlement. Uh, we need to ask ourselves the question how we can preserve the progress we have made so far, even if the progress is significant in some parts and not, and not so significant in other parts. The question is how do we preserve that and how do we ensure not only that that process uh, is lost or progress is lost, but uh, uh, the rule of law is further um, uh, is further strengthened. Um, of course, peace in Afghanistan is everybody's desire. You ask any Afghan what is their priority, the first thing that will come to their mind and the first answer would be peace. Um, and, and that is because we have lost so many people. I mean, look at the last couple of weeks and what uh, number of, of people we have lost in this country from Kabul to Helmand to different other parts of the country. And all of 
of that takes people's uh, and individuals' lives. Uh, but it has to be guaranteed that this process is an inclusive process. We cannot have um, a process whereby it seems to be inclusive, mainly for the insurgents and for the Taliban, but then one which may result in exclusion, uh, mainly of women or, for example, religious uh, minorities. Um, and um, um, I think um, <clears throat> Uh, the achievements that we have had in the past couple of years, we have to be very cautious of, of losing those. And I would like to conclude that um, Afghanistan, for Afghanistan's future, we have to guarantee uh, the rule of law. We have to guarantee that the rule of law will not be uh, weakened. And uh, for any future agreement, uh, we should emphasize on principles of justice, on fundamental rights, and more importantly, freedoms and equality before the law. I'll stop here. I will once again thank our colleagues for this wonderful research and would be happy to respond to any questions. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ghazal. Let me move over to Abdullah Amazai for his comments and then also remind people, I know there are questions coming in on the uh, YouTube feed and through Twitter at RLL Afghanistan, and I will take those after in the discussion. Abdullah? Thank you, Scott, and uh, colleagues at USIP for having me in this important discussion. And uh, thanks to our uh, WJP colleague uh, for the excellent presentation of their report. Uh, a lot of the very important points were, uh, so I'll try not to be uh, repetitive and cross some of the talking points that I already had with me. Uh, but without really attempting to uh, compare percentages between the Asia Foundation survey of the Afghan people and uh, the WGP report, since the two uh, researchers are conducted under uh, different methods, one of the more uh, common findings that uh, I can see in several reports related to uh, corruption and accountability is the perception of uh, impunity remaining high in Afghanistan. Uh, when we look at the Asia Foundation's annual uh, survey findings, it's obvious that the uh, perception of corruption has remained quite high uh, between 94% uh, in 2006 and 97% in 2019. We also see in our uh, survey that the perception of corruption as a problem in daily life has risen from 73% uh, in 2006 to 91% in 2019. Now, to help contextualize these numbers, I think it's uh, crucial to seek answers to uh, a rather difficult question, which is uh, what does these numbers really mean for Afghanistan and uh, Afghans? Uh, in my view, all these uh, numbers tell us that uh, Afghans really deserve and demand better quality services transparency and accountability. These numbers also tell us that people are more aware of their rights and I believe increased awareness can also contribute to issues being better amplified in the public domain. Freedom of expression and uh, increased capacity among media and civil society organizations also play a significant role in uh, advocating for change and influencing decision-making. Uh, the recent proposed amendments to the law on media uh, being reversed by the government is a great uh, indication 
of the role that media and civil society can play to influence change. So uh, overall, while we see a relatively uh, uh, gloomy picture of uh, Afghanistan in a lot of various studies uh, conducted in, 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 in the country, uh, on the brighter side here, I believe uh, we see a vibrant civil society and media who are able to raise their voice uh, at the right time and uh, proactively engage in uh, discussions with the government on protecting the fundamental rights of people and demanding accountability. Access to information, uh, I believe, is uh, another key element in transparency in uh, the public sector. Uh, we have a law on access to information, which I believe mandates the government to share key information on decision-making with the people, which can significantly reduce the potential for what I call the red tape luxury of every document being confidential. Uh, I also think that this report and many others uh, raise a fundamental issue, uh, which is that structures and systems of governance and justice need to be uh, significantly strengthened to respond to uh, the public demand for better quality services and accountability. We see an increase in uh, the number of young, better qualified people being hired in the public sector, mostly at uh, senior positions. Such change really needs to happen also at the service delivery levels, uh, which which will enable improvements that people can see and feel uh, when they interact with uh, government officials on a daily basis. This uh, needs to continue while uh, I believe investments in uh, system development uh, also need to be equally prioritized, increase transparency and uh, accountability. Uh, finally, uh, I believe uh, accountability must not remain optional for some. And uh, once we see uh, accountability uh, being equally applied for all, I think that's when we uh, can expect a more uh, positive outlook on the uh, public perception side of things, as well as uh, improvements in quality of life overall uh, for Afghans. So I believe uh, the report that WJP has uh, uh, generated, uh, the findings of this really informs uh, key decision makers to be able to understand uh, the fundamental issues that arise in the rule of law sector and the uh, corruption at various sectors and uh, how they could be tackled. I think there is need for uh, uh, more uh, uh, sustainable and effective mechanism in which the uh, empirical data collected uh, based on facts and views received from people to decision makers so that we are able to uh, see change based on realities on the ground rather than our own understanding of what the issues are and how we would like to have them addressed. I will stop uh, at that, and then later during the Q&A session, we could uh, engage in a more uh, uh, in-depth uh, conversation if, if, if time allows. Thank you, Scott, and thank you. Great, thank, thanks each of you for, for excellent comments. 
let me just uh, pose a question to each of the panelists uh, while we gather the, the full range of questions from the audience uh, more publicly. Um, Amy, if I can just start with you, I think one of the key attributes and unique attributes of this survey is that you do it globally and you ask the same questions in many different countries and you seek to, to compare them. And obviously one of the key issues is uh, which countries is it appropriate to compare? And you presented findings comparing Afghanistan to its region, which is relevant. Um, I'm wondering more generally, if you look at Afghanistan as the Muslim majority country that's dealing with difficulty, uh, conflict over interpretations of Islam, as well as a conflict country that is had high rates of violence, um, are there comparators outside of the region that you might look to? And then also, Look, Afghanistan, we know, faces a lot of rule of law challenges. There's incremental improvement, but it's still quite uh, poor compared to even its region. I wonder, what are the areas, when you look globally, that you can see signs of hope? And where should we look in these indicators for the first signs of improvement to a better overall score? So what, are leading, what have been leading indicators in other countries of better performance overall on rule of law? Absolutely. Those are really good, good questions. And I, I think that a lot of the conversations around rule of law in Afghanistan focus on overall poor performance and don't break down the conversation to highlight some of the things that have changed and improved over time. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that that's a question that you've, you've posed and it's something that we can explore further on, on the panel. In terms of looking at Afghanistan's performance compared to South Asian countries versus other um, potential peer countries, the rule of law index report doesn't compare Afghanistan to other countries that are experiencing conflict. Instead, we compare um, Afghanistan to other countries in the region and other um, income peer countries. So countries with similar levels of economic development. And the truth here is that Afghanistan is unique in a number of ways and that the situation in Afghanistan um, is, is unique. The peace process that is ongoing um, presents its own challenges and some of the ongoing issues related to order and security. So conflict um, and instability in Afghanistan are not captured in the same way in many other countries that we include in the index. So a lot of the conversation um, that we have around Afghanistan and its performance and um, areas for improvement, but also these, these beacons of hope um, that we point to relate specifically to Afghanistan and the context of, of the country. Um, in terms of things that we can point to for hope in Afghanistan, there are many of the topics that I presented in the presentation of findings, as well as that my colleagues have talked about. So we know that fundamental freedoms, um, that corruption, and that the performance of the criminal justice system uh, pose many challenges in the country. But those are also the areas where we're seeing an improvement over time. When we look at the rule of law index findings for the factor of absence of corruption specifically. So this is the global report that compares 128 countries and isn't focused exclusively on Afghanistan. But in this comparative exercise, over the last year, we saw that 51 countries experienced a decline in absence of uh, corruption. 
and only 26 experienced an improvement. And Afghanistan was one of the countries that improved in that factor over the last year. And these small changes that we're seeing are important. Um, many of them seem to hint at some of the more technical reforms in the country, um, in particular related to criminal justice, are having a positive impact. And across the board, in many of the survey instruments that we've collected and the analysis that we present in various reports, um, we're seeing these small changes. And rule of law change over time is a very long and drawn out process. It often takes years. So I think it's important uh, when looking to Afghanistan and, and talking about the performance of rule of law in the country, um, that we not only look at where Afghanistan is right now, but compare where Afghanistan is now um, versus where the country was five years ago. So um, although many challenges remain, I definitely think that its performance related to corruption and, and criminal justice um, really offer areas of, of hope moving forward. And um, it is too, too soon to see how this progress is going to be tested by the, the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's one thing that I'll be um, particularly interested to, to explore in the, in the coming months. Thanks very much. Let me just turn to Ghazal if I can ask you a question. I think when in looking at the survey, one of the things that was encouraging was a relatively high level of legal awareness, uh, awareness of rights. And in particular, one, both men and women had roughly the same understanding of, of rights. And, and two, men and women had a high understanding of women's legal rights, even if it's not observed in practice. Uh, I wonder, you know, both in your role as well as your rule of law experience over time, what do you see as the success of, of improved legal understanding, improved rights understanding, and what role does public outreach and communication from the government or from other organizations play in an overall improvement of legal rights? Uh, thank you, Scott. Uh, it was truly encouraging uh, to see um, Afghanistan's improved ranking um, and the perception of people, particularly of men, on the legal rights uh, of women in the society. Um, I would also like to add that it was also very encouraging and very, um, uh, very pleasant to see um, that um, a number of, um, of um, uh, people in the survey had, a, or, or a, huge, uh, a big percentage, had discussed uh, freedom of religious, uh, freedom of, of religious uh, practice for religious minorities. Um, uh, to be uh, free, and there was some improvements in that area as well. Um, I think uh, one uh, major reason for that has been the tireless efforts both by the Afghan government and the civil society. I think the level of outreach they have had over the past 18 years in different parts of the country trying to promote uh, women's rights, as well as the investment that was done by the international community, I think it's all of that together um, that's, uh, that's paying off. Um, and the result that we see today about women's uh, advancements, uh, for example, the examples that Ahmed Zaiseb gave about uh, women uh, being in different parts of the government in leadership positions. Um, all of that um, explained to us that the current uh, situation is, is significantly uh, different um, than the post-Taliban period or than the, uh, the Taliban period. So there's a significant um, change and a significant um, uh, difference. Uh, women, uh, 
um, have more access to uh, justice uh, now. There's more uh, legal protection to women, um, uh, whether we're talking about um, the, the protection in terms of having legislation or to put that into implementation. And if there are, um, if, they have, if they have faced issues of uh, violence, for example, there have been mechanisms and procedures uh, put into place that together uh, provide the legal protection uh, to women. Um, and um, the, the, the women who work in the government, uh, at one point in time, especially in the beginning, there was a lot of focus on um, giving um, uh, women seats in order to show that women are there and they're present. But that picture has changed. Now women actually occupy seats and positions within the government uh, because they possess the right skills and the right uh, credentials. And uh, I think even because of all of these as well. Um, these are the achievements that we have and we should be very cautious of, of losing these as a part of the peace process. Thank you. And Abdullah, let me turn to you as well uh, on a related question. You know, you've worked with the Asia Foundation's uh, large survey over years. Uh, you, you indicated that one of your conclusions from this is that Afghans are sending a demand signal and I'm just wondering, what's your impression of the role that surveys from either this World Drug Justice Project or the Asia Foundation have on political leaders? Um, you know, how does the how do these views manifest themselves in the Afghan context? And what are the most effective ways that you think Afghans can really pressure? Uh, leaders to make improvements on these areas that everybody agrees need to, need to be improved. Thank you, Scott. Uh, I believe the use of uh, survey and uh, the attention by uh, state authorities uh, towards these uh, reports uh, generated by credible international and uh, uh, local organizations uh, such as you know, WJP and also the Asia Foundation's report, Transparency International, a lot of other organizations that really provide important information and uh, uh, channeling the public views uh, to the government. Uh, the use of such empirical data has gradually increased, uh, more so since 2014. I know uh, multiple surveys and research reports were used more um, uh, significantly by uh, the international development organizations in the past compared to uh, the Afghan government, but we have seen a gradual improvement in that when the, U, uh, the Afghan government is also uh, uh, looking at these reports and taking them more uh, seriously. I think there is need for more uh, 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 some kind of a systemic way where these reports are first communicated uh, in more detail with the media organizations in Afghanistan and uh, civil society organizations for them to be able to uh, articulate uh, the issues better and advocate for change uh, 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 based on the empirical data and public views that they see in our report. So I think the use of these uh, survey data, research data needs to, it has potential to be uh, used more uh, by, by the civil society and media organizations for them to be better equipped 
for the advocacy role uh, that they need with, uh, with uh, changes in the governance structure. Great, thanks for that. Let me turn now to questions from the audience. And Amy, I'll go to you for this one. Both Mary Aguirre and also Sawara Khan asked questions about the prison survey and women. And so mentioned women were not included. They want to know uh, why weren't they included? Why didn't you have access? Uh, is there any way that you can speculate on um, you know, differences that might have emerged? Uh, and I don't know if you want to talk about your, your outreach plans beyond this event in response to what Abdullah said. Absolutely. So for the inmate study, because this was a pilot and we only covered around 550 inmates, um, we did not expand the scope to cover uh, facilities that house both men and women. Um, we care a lot about confidentiality um, and about safety and security. And for all of the inmate interviews that were conducted, we had a fieldwork team that needed to enter the prison facility. And it's important um, when conducting these interviews that we take into consideration any concerns about like the gender of the person that's going to be conducting the interview and just overall how this is going to work. Um, so we very much treated this exercise as an initial pilot to see what would and would not be feasible and what methodologies would work best in the country. And it's our hope that this is something that could be revisited in the future, um, could also be expanded to cover hopefully facilities that are housing that are housing women. And another thing that we that we piloted that worked fairly well with this inmate study um, was the use of electronic tablets so inmates could self-administer the study. And to make sure that um, guards that might have been present in the room were not able to overhear responses to survey questions or that other inmates were able to hear um, confidential responses um, about sometimes very sensitive topics. We also administered the survey via audio feed. And so the inmates could put a headphone on and the headset would read aloud the survey questions as well as the survey response options. And so they would be able to um, make the selection um, that they chose without ever needing to verbalize or say anything out loud. And we wanted to test to see how that worked before we scaled up this project or identified um, additional prison facilities or increased the sample size. So um, it is certainly our hope that this is something that we can pursue in the future. But for the purposes of the, the pilot study, we stuck just to minimum security prisons that house male inmates. Those are also the larger facilities. So if we have fieldwork teams that are needing to enter the facilities for multiple days, that can become extremely disruptive. So we wanted to minimize that um, for, the, for the purposes of this pilot. Great, thanks for that. Can we get another question from the audience? And this maybe is for both Abdullah and Ghazal. Uh, some people suggest that the Taliban would be far less tolerant of corruption than the current government has been. Is this a valid argument? And more generally, I would just add on, how do you think justice issues, uh, or rule of law issues, I should say, might factor into the negotiations? Either of you wants to start with that? Scott, do you mind repeating the question, please? I'm happy to. It was... Some people suggest that the Taliban would be uh, less tolerant of corruption, maybe more effective at combating corruption. And what's your view on that, as well as more generally how the Taliban might bring rule of law issues into negotiations? Um, well, um, 
many of us, uh, I think a majority of Afghans have experienced um, the government of Taliban. And we have seen um, in the past years, um, the, um, the um, income in the illicit economy on the side of the Taliban. So the lack of tolerance um, as it appears or as it's being publicized um, does not necessarily suggest that the uh, Taliban are um, less tolerant to corruption uh, once they are uh, part of the government. I wouldn't strongly believe in that. Um, and there have been many other examples um, of the Taliban uh, with the illicit incomes. Um, that would prove that uh, this may not necessarily be the case. Um, in terms of how the Taliban uh, would, um, um, part of the peace process so far, uh, we have seen certain, um, certain um, uh, positions from the side of the Taliban, although not uh, specific. They've never gone into the specifics of um, uh, how the rule of law or how a system of justice might work for the Taliban. But of course, we have seen it. We have seen it in the last couple, in the last 18 years um, through uh, media and through uh, people uh, bringing in uh, cases um, of uh, Taliban's uh, courts and their way of uh, decision making. I think that uh, summarizes the whole um, the whole uh, ideology or the whole uh, way of looking at uh, rule of law uh, when it comes to the Taliban. Um, a rule of law also uh, requires or, or, or it has um, um, inherent in it equality before the law um, and fundamental rights and human rights. And we have seen that repeatedly, how there has been this lack of equality uh, when they have treated people, be it uh, a matter of men, women, be it religious minorities. So uh, if you look at different notions of rule of law and then you see how the Taliban have acted in practice, I think it becomes very clear that um, they do not really believe in the way we understand and we believe um, in, in, in rule of law. And therefore that increases the level of concern among uh, people and therefore we require um, the guarantees as a part of the peace process to make sure that the uh, rule of law, even as I said earlier, even if we consider the current progress significant at parts and not so significant in other parts, we still need to preserve this and have guarantees in place that these will not be lost. Thank you. Abdullah, do you want to comment on that? Yes, uh, sure. I think uh, to uh, Rizal's point, uh, past performance is a great indicator for what to expect uh, from uh, any uh, uh, side when it comes to service delivery, tolerance towards malpractices or corruption. Uh, so I will leave it at that, but uh, just one point on uh, rule of law, formal justice versus informal justice sector in, in Afghanistan. I think uh, if uh, our formal justice sector continues uh, to, uh, uh, to provide uh, services in the manner that it has been uh, providing in the last two decades, the likelihood of uh, people really uh, looking for alternative is much higher, uh, meaning the alternative exists and that's the informal justice sector. Now, the question of whether in the informal justice sector we have uh, Taliban representation in, or influence or a village elder, that's a, uh, that's a different uh, scenario, but depending on uh, 
a locality, a, a, a region where, where the disputes and issues are. So I think because alternative does exist to the formal justice sector, that's why it's of utmost importance for the justice reforms to take shape and improve quality of uh, justice uh, that is offered to, to the people of Afghanistan. Otherwise, the level of trust among people on the formal justice sector will continue to uh, 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 decrease. And as a result, people will refer ways of resolving their disputes, which is not necessarily a very transparent, but it is a speedier way of resolving disputes. Thanks, and you anticipated my next question, which is coming from the YouTube feed, which relates to the distinctions that the survey may have made between formal and informal justice. And so let me turn that toward Amy to see um, how did you account for that? And I would also note that there are some interesting differences in levels of trust of different institutions, which Abdullah alluded to, and I, I wonder if you can add uh, some evaluation of that factor to your answer. Absolutely, and this is something that we've also seen in, in our data. When we approached the, the inmate study, um, we of course wanted to really hone in on experiences and perceptions of the formal um, criminal justice system um, and not capture sort of what this adjudication process looks like in the informal um, system. And we know that that plays a huge role in Afghanistan and the country's ability to, to deliver justice. Um, Afghans go to informal mechanisms for a number of reasons. Um, it could be including that those are more accessible to them, um, but also they don't have high levels of trust in the formal criminal justice system as we've seen. For the findings that I've presented in the presentation today and that are also included in our final report, here we're asking specifically about um, perceptions and performance of the, uh, the formal criminal system. In 2016, we conducted um, a study that aimed at looking at um, what these perceptions and experiences were like with individuals that chose to use informal mechanisms. So of those people that had a dispute, what were some of the more common types of disputes? In Afghanistan, we saw um, land disputes and, and water disputes being two of the most common. And then why did, uh, or which system did they choose to go to? So when you have this complaint, are you going to a formal system for some sort of adjudication process? Or are you pursuing a resolution in an informal system. And we saw that a large number of Afghans were pursuing these informal mechanisms. And some of the reasons that they cited for doing so was that they didn't trust um, the formal system's ability to, to provide justice. Um, and a lot of our findings related to the formal criminal justice system in Afghanistan um, haven't changed a ton over time. So the perception is still that many of the actors involved in the system are um, corrupt or involved in corrupt practices. Um, and Afghans don't have a lot of faith in the system's ability to, um, to provide justice um, for the country. So these, these improvements that we're seeing in experiences um, from inmates are, are small compared to the big picture of how Afghans actually um, perceive these systems to be functioning in, in the country. Thanks. Let me go on to a different subject. So Doug Grindle asks on the uh, question feed about the UN's recent, UNAMA's recent anti-corruption report and says that they cited um, that the anti-corruption committee has not yet been implemented since 2018 and that 
there are several reports of the MEC, the Monitoring and Evaluation Committee, which looks at corruption that have not come out, I guess, on schedule. Um, there's a related question from Scott in New York that also cites the UNAMA survey and notes that on the one hand, the government is praised for its cooperation uh, on providing information, but yet at the same time, and Gazal, you noted this, there's still a challenge in terms of following through on prosecution. So maybe I'll turn it to you, Gazal, to ask about the UNAMA anti-corruption report and you know, how the government can address some of those concerns. Thank you, Scott. Um, yes, uh, UNAMO's report was uh, released last week um, and it was looking at um, anti-corruption and also um, the challenges. One thing that was important in UNAMO's report was that uh, it indicated both to the government as well as the international community that um, corruption was not their number one priority in um, 2019 because of the uh, political landscape um, in Afghanistan and the focus being more on elections as well as um, the peace process. Um, the Anti-Corruption um, Commission um, has not been um, established yet, although we do have the law on um, uh, anti-corruption um, that uh, specifically um, the role and the powers of anti-corruption commission uh, but um, as I said earlier the process is ongoing uh, for the selection of the members of the anti-corruption commission and um, this um, the the, um, the the committee the selection committee um, includes 50% uh, from um, civil society as well as the number of candidates it took a while between the government and civil society to, to come into terms on how to um, um, create this mechanism uh, to ensure that civil society is well involved both in terms of introducing candidates as well as being part of the um, selection committee. Um, of course, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic had effect, uh, has affected um, all of us globally um, and the work of the government as well. And that's one reason why we have, um, the government has delays um, in, in, in with regards to anti-corruption commission. Um, in terms of the prosecution, um, of the cases, um, yes, again, uh, UNAMA's report has raised um, um, concerns um, and um, uh, we are aware of the um, concerns that are raised, not just by UNAMA, but, but by other partners and colleagues as well. And um, um, as I explained earlier, we're working on creating a mechanism whereby cases of anti-corruption um, are followed up in the prosecution and in the judiciary. We do respect the independence of the Attorney General's office. Um, they, they are an independent institutions. We do respect the independence of judiciary as an independent branch of the government. But at the same time, in order for us to have some results um, in the long term, we have to um, follow up on the cases of uh, corruption. Um, this is going to start once the law on the office of the ombudsperson is approved and this, and this power officially gets to the office of the ombudsperson. Um, uh, the Monitoring and Evaluation Committee, the MEC, um, is a very important uh, anti-corruption um, institution. Um, they have uh, presented a number of uh, extremely important and timely reports um, trying to look at um, the um, corruption vulnerability um, assessment of the different institutions. And uh, there was some delay, again, because of the 
uh, situation uh, we all know. And um, recently, as of last week, from what I remember, um, uh, they presented two of their reports um, to the High Council for Rule of Law. Um, and both the reports, one on the Ministry of Finance, um, mainly on the um, Departments of Revenues and Customs, and one on the uh, on the government um, authority of Afghanistan and both the reports were highly welcomed uh, by the government and the president himself um, he has instructed um, the uh, he, he has instructed the team and particularly his senior legal advisor to actually look at the implementation of the um, of the recommendations by MAC and to report to the um, High Council of Rule of Law and Anti-Corruption um, periodically. So the government has, there was some delay in presenting the reports, um, the MAC reports to the government, but now that they're there, um, the institutions, the relevant institutions have been instructed um, to ensure that the recommendations are implemented. Thanks very much. We have just a couple minutes re remaining and I want to ask uh, one final question on behalf of the audience and that's from Jeff Brico, who asks whether there are linkages between reduction in corruption with improvements in institutions of governance, excuse me, institutions of governance as well as criminal justice systems. So I guess maybe I'll give Abdullah a chance to reflect on that from your, your personal experience in Afghanistan, whether uh, anti-corruption is a function of institutional performance or other factors. And Amy, maybe give you the last word on what are your thoughts on that from the global uh, survey perspective. I think when it comes to uh, uh, the justice sector anti-corruption efforts, one of the main uh, issues that we have seen throughout these 18 years of the post-Taliban era was the multiplicity of the uh, initiatives uh, uh, when it came to uh, anti-corruption efforts by the Afghan government. I think over the ability to basically uh, make sure that there is a more holistic approach and a comprehensive approach in dealing with uh, 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 anti-corruption uh, issues that would result in a more efficient way of uh, systematically addressing uh, corruption. But yes, I think there's a very um, uh, obvious uh, linkage between the perception of corrupt practices in, in an institution and improvement in their uh, service delivery or whatever the institution is mandated to do. Ministry of Education is one great example in our survey uh, when we ask respondents what goes well in their area, they immediately allude to schools and uh, the services that they get in as a result uh, from the Ministry of uh, Education. And the same applies to drinking water and uh, Ministry of Health, for example. So people do see and uh, acknowledge uh, uh, improvements when they actually receive it. Uh, the perception in some cases might vary because certain government institutions probably need to do better with regards to their public awareness campaigns, telling people what they have improved and how they have improved them. But primarily when it comes to public uh, opinion, I think when people see a, a service uh, or a change in their lives, they do acknowledge it positively about it, as is the case in our survey. 
Thank you for that. And Amy, let me give you the last word on your reflections on that, as well as any other concluding remarks you might have. Absolutely. Um, I, I definitely concur with my, my colleague. When you are looking at issues related to corruption, these play out in a number of different ways across various aspects of rule of law. And we know that if people believe that an institution or the people operating within that institution are corrupt, they're less likely to actively engage with that institution. They sort of from the outside discount it, um, which is part of the problem and part of what we see with um, Afghans relying on informal justice mechanisms. They do so because those are trusted. They believe that they're more likely to have um, an outcome that is just if they use those institutions compared to uh, more formal ones. So uh, perceptions of corruption as well as experiences with petty bribery and, and other forms of corruption really impact rule of law as a whole. Um, these are definitely connected. Um, and another interesting thing that we, we do see sometimes in the survey data, not just in Afghanistan, but globally, is in situations where um, there are high levels of corruption, when there is a new change, this switch to um, tackle and address those issues, and this information is, is out in the, in the news, there's often a perception that corruption has gone up in a country. And it's not necessarily because anything substantially has changed. It could just be because um, the, in the rule of law situation, there's now some process that's happening in an attempt to, to correct this. So we see per perceptions of corruption really um, playing out on most of the rule of law factors that we cover in the, in the rule of law index. And this is a particularly salient um, link, I think, in Afghanistan. Great. Well, thank you very much for that. I would also add that, of course, the comparative nature of this survey across other countries and different income levels is important, but also the fact that it's done in a series over time really helps to track performance and help uh, Afghanistan or other countries with improvement. So I hope this keeps going. Um, that's all the time we have for now. I want to thank everybody that has participated actively that has watched through YouTube, through other media channels from joining us. Thank you for joining us in this conversation. Thank you very much to the panelists for being up late in Afghanistan and taking your time. And we hope to continue this conversation with the World Justice Project and at other events at USIP. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org slash podcasts.